Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell, bringing you the latest information for families seeking to adopt, adoptees, and women considering placing a child for adoption. Now, with today's program, here is Marty Caldwell. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'd like to remind you also to visit our website, Let's Talk Adoption, sign up for a free newsletter and a weekly show reminder about upcoming shows and events. And you'll also find resources to help you in many areas of adoption, parenting, and family life. Today, we'll be speaking with a legal expert, adoption attorney, and adoptive parent, Kathleen Calcutt, about the legal aspects of adoption and what you need to know before you adopt. Kathleen has been practicing law since 1991. Her area of expertise is in family law and adoption. She is married also to an attorney, and they have three biological children and three children that join their family through adoption. So she knows what she's talking about. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we have got so many questions that have come in regarding um, legal questions on adoption and also just some real practical tips for people that are, you know, starting out in adoption or even wanting to adopt after they've adopted, you know, a few years back, too. And I know there are lots of options on adoption planning, more than we've ever had in the history of adoption with the Internet. Uh, I know that over 80 percent of um, our hopeful parents um, turn to the Internet to find resources and over 55 percent of uh, women seeking adoptive parents for their children are logging online to get help um, finding adoptive parents for their children. So that's really amazing. So I have some questions here. You know, a lot of people ask, why shouldn't a prospective adoptive parent save money by turning to um, the Internet and building their own website to to do it themselves? Um, Is there anything wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but um, in this day and age, you can't protect yourself adequately from dishonest people if you try to do it yourself. You're putting a lot of your personal information out on the Internet. You're putting your picture, sometimes where you live, sometimes an address, sometimes date of birth or phone number, and and there's a chance that you can be scammed Mm -hmm. either by identity thieves or by um, men or women who want to prey on people who desperately want to adopt a child. And they pose and, as, as birth parents or, or adoption professionals or, or adoptive parents. They do. Mm-hmm. The um, adoption professionals, many of them have been working in this field for many years, and we have mm-hmm. many contacts outside of our own offices, and we have a way that we can screen adoptive um, and we can way we can screen potential birth parents. For right. instance, in my office, we have a licensed private investigator mm-hmm. who um, does an investigation on every single birth mom that we take in, mm-hmm. and we do something called due diligence. We check out all prospective birth moms before we ever discuss them with a family. That is so wise too. And let's just basically, I know I've had people ask too um, about you are in Florida, but you have families um, and clients all over the United States, correct? Yes. Yes. And you basically uh, have a law firm, but you also have an agency. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So is there, what's the difference between an agency and a facilitation center? So well, I know that we've worked uh, in you know, the Lifetime Facilitation Center uh, with uh, many attorneys, and including yourself, and with agencies. But there are different roles. Right. The reason that we're able to work with families all over the country is because of um, wonderful facilitation centers like Lifetime. We are able... Facilitation centers usually are able to work with a much greater volume of potential birth moms and a much greater variety. A Florida family, for example, who wants to look for a very specific type of birth mom can contract with a facilitation center like Lifetime and look 
in all the 50 states mm-hmm. to find the birth mom in the situation that is right for her, whereas we as a local adoption agency really tend to um, work from a, a much smaller pool of birth moms that are in our own area. Right, and then you can just do legal work, and I think the facilitation with a really qualified facilitator is the hardest work because the other part is illegal, and it, there's a lot of work involved with it too, but the emotional part and all the details that need to be taken care of um, are really between that the time that they come together, the match, and then slightly after um, the um, the adoption is taking place oh, and the ab- support. Absolutely, absolutely. The attorney doesn't have the time to work with the birth moms as closely as these facilitation centers do. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people ask, too, is it better to adopt an infant in- domestically as opposed to an international adoption? Well, I think that it's better to adopt a child in this country mm-hmm. and the three children that I have adopted have been out of the foster care system in this country. And although two of them were very young and one was older, in this country you're able to um, get very good records mm-hmm. on the children most of the time, and you're able to interpret that with your local physicians and your local um, counselors. And that's really important, too, because the children overseas, and I, I do uh, am real um, – you know, uh, promoter of international adoption, but uh, we only do domestic adoption, and my adoption was domestic, is that you have to be a special family with special, um, you know, qualifications. And I think you need to work with someone to specialize in that international adoption and really be felt like you're led to adopt internationally. But uh, many people just feel like they can't take the risk of not knowing the medical information and not sure if they can trust all the medical information coming in from another country. Right, and you learn an awful lot about the child that you're going to adopt by having interaction with the birth mother, mm-hmm. and especially if you have a counselor or a qualified person to assist you in working with the birth mom, you learn a lot about the temperament of the child that mm-hmm. you're going to have right. and and many, many more things than than you would learn if the child was from overseas. That's right. You know, this brings me to another thing. We have a lot of people asking, is it harder to adopt a healthy, drug-free baby in the United States as opposed to other countries when women, women typically don't use drugs? Well, this is one of the reasons I refer a lot of my clients to facilitators um, because when you are deciding on the type of baby that you want to adopt, you can say, I would like a drug-free baby. Mm -hmm. And in my practice, I get a lot of calls from women who are not necessarily drug-free, so it takes longer to find a child that doesn't have any drug exposure. Mm -hmm. But with a practice that screens a large number of birth moms, you can know right off the bat that you're only going to be matched with a potential birth mom who is drug-free, and it's going to be within a reasonable period of time. Right, yeah, and I think that you have a little bit more control over it, too. Here's a question. How do I choose an adoption professional I can trust? What would you recommend? Because you've been doing this a long time, since 1991. Well, I think the most important thing is to find out if they're counselors or experienced, Mm -hmm. because this is your front line. These are the people that are going to be there at 2 in the morning to deal with a birth mom if she's upset about something or if she is kicked out of her apartment. You need Mm -hmm. to have people that are calm and experienced with working with mothers under pressure. You need to have um, a staff that is available 24 hours a day. I got a call this morning at 4 a.m. from a birth mom because I was Mm -hmm. on call. Right, and 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 that's crucial. Absolutely. I think that if you want to have a large pool of potential birth moms, I think that it is especially helpful that they have a web presence. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, you need to have somebody who is willing to work with the birth mom after the baby is born. Mm, That support is so crucial for success and for their well-being. Absolutely. You need um, an agency or facilitation center 
who has extensive experience with other states Mm -hmm. and is familiar with the interstate compact process. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about that. I have another question for that, too, about that experience, because that's really important. I think the track record, and just like you said, checking out the adoption professional, um, don't be afraid to ask for references. Don't be afraid to call the Attorney General's office, and don't be afraid to call Better Business Bureau and other um, adoption uh, families, adoptive families. Who do they work with, and do they like them? Absolutely, and they've got to. You've got to have somebody who is going to be compassionate with the birth mother through her grieving process. Mm-hmm. And that, and not everyone has that compassion. So if they can hire someone to be on staff, that's going to be really important too. Right. Let's get into a little bit too. The um, you know, once you, someone has chosen their adoption professional, uh, an expert to work with them, um, you know, what is the what's the first step? When do they hire an attorney? When when is that? When should they retain an attorney to work with them? Well, once they have chosen their birth mom. Once all the due diligence has been done mm-hmm. and the adoption professional has made a, a determination that this birth mom is legitimate, that they have reviewed her, um, her pregnancy records to date, mm-hmm. and the family has either spoken to the birth mom over the phone or met the birth mom, if that's what they're comfortable with, then that is the point where you choose your lawyer. Mm-hmm. And they get started from that point, too. And I really find that I know in my own adoption uh, my attorneys really helped me a lot as being that buffer. I mean, here I'm an adoption professional, but I, it was like doing my own brain surgery and trying to, um, you know, help the birth mom because I had my own emotions and feelings I was going through. And um, the legal aspects are really, really important, and you need to have someone that can understand that and, and explain it to you and also share with the birth mom what they need to do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You're the legal professional, the attorney that you're going to work with is going to want to meet with your birth mom, mm-hmm. birth mom right off the bat to establish a relationship with her and get her to start filling out all the preliminary documents. Right. There, there are dozens of documents that have to be signed. And no one wants to show up at the hospital and meet a birth mom for the first time and, and have her trust them enough to sign all the many, many documents that have to be signed. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people do ask about the ICPC and, and how this process will impact them, and that's the Interstate Compact. Mm-hmm. Explain a little bit about that because a lot of people now that are using the Internet are adopting across state lines right. out of their own state, and how does that work? You will, in many cases, you will need to have a lawyer in each state, mm-hmm. but in, in certain states like California, you don't necessarily have to have a lawyer work with a birth mom to get the, um, all the documents signed. But the interstate compact process is a set of rules that crosses state lines. There are certain documents that in every single adoption must be, um, must be signed and they, they must be filled out correctly. The home study has to be evaluated. All the background clearances have to be current. Um, there are certain laws that protect um, American Indian and Eskimo children. Mm-hmm. And the interstate compact process is a person usually in the capital of the state where the birth mother has the baby who looks at all the paperwork that has been prepared and determines if the adoption is viable enough to cross state lines. Mm-hmm. And make sure everything's in, dotted and cross or T's to make sure that you're going home with a safe adoption. Absolutely, because yeah. the interstate compact professionals don't want to send babies across state lines if there's a chance that the adoption is not going to pass mm-hmm. judicial muster. Right. They are familiar with the laws in their state, and then it is it goes to the interstate compact of the state where the adoptive family lives, mm-hmm. and their interstate compact professional will look through the paperwork again and see if everything is done in such a way that it's going to be a legal adoption in the receiving state, Mm -hmm. the state where the adoptive family lives. 
And, and this, it takes time. It, it takes about a week. And people ask you all the time, why does it take so long to finalize an adoption? Is it court getting court space? I mean, that's what I've heard is that it really takes a lot of time. You know, what's the difference between the relinquishment period of time and the finalization of adoption? Um, because there is a period, you know, where, where you actually receive the baby and then when the adoption is finalized. Absolutely. Um, in Florida, when you have a Florida birth mom, once the birth mom signs her, her final paperwork after the baby is born or after 48 hours or after she's discharged from the hospital, whichever is sooner, then the birth mom doesn't have a period in which she can change her mind. It's just the 48 hours we're in California where 30 days in different states right. or five days or 72 hours. or Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the birth mom's rights are not terminated at the time, um, at the time she signs her consents or at the time her time runs to um, withdraw her consent, her her rights are not terminated until the court terminates them. And so in Florida, we have to have a certificate of diligent search of something called a putative father registry mm-hmm. because you have to have a way to terminate um, unknown birth fathers. Mm-hmm. And so you're waiting a few weeks to get that certificate. You also have to get a copy of the certificate of live birth from um, the state where the where the delivery was. And then once you have those two um, pieces of paper, along with everything else that you have filed, then your case is ready to be reviewed to determine whether the parental rights can be terminated. And then, as you say, you're you're just waiting for court time. Mm -hmm. Usually the the termination, at least in Florida, is just a walkthrough. The court reviews the file, and if it's going to approve it, you, you walk into court, you go over the basis for the termination, and the court signs the order to terminate. And then at that point, there's usually a 30-day waiting period, which is an appeal time. Mm-hmm. And after that, you can go ahead and get your adoption finalized. But an adoption should be able to be finalized five or six months after the baby is born, right. certainly yeah. within six months. And that's what it is most, in most states. Uh, right. There are some states where they have a longer, longer period. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to share more about the legal aspects of adoption, answering your questions and things you need to know about adoption with our adoption specialist today, Kathleen Calcutt. Don't touch that mouse. Be right back. On my 18th birthday, I made a decision that would affect me forever. I chose life for my baby. I wasn't ready to be a mom or even to change my dreams of being a singer. Many of my friends offered to help me end my pregnancy. But then I learned about another option that provides a beautiful life for my baby, adoption. I was able to choose my son's parents and even meet them at the hospital. They love him so much and he's an answer to their prayers. I get emails and pictures from them. I even travel to visit my son each year. He has wonderful parents, an awesome life and a solid future, everything I wanted for him. And now I've even moved to Nashville to follow my dreams. I chose life. I chose adoption. Open adoption means you make the choices. Choose the adoptive family, how much contact you want, and how you want the adoption to happen. To learn more about adoption, call 1-800-923-6784 or visit LifetimeAdoption.com. You can speak with a compassionate counselor confidentially 24 hours a day. Call Lifetime at 1-800-923-6784.
Caldwell. Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption. I'm Marty Caldwell. It's KFIA AM 710. And uh, I want to mention to you before we continue on with our legal topic today that I did write a book, um, AdoptingOnline.com, and it's for hopeful adoptive parents that is full of helpful advice and resources for anyone that wants to save time and guide you to the resources that you really need and uh, answers your questions uh, further about adoption, too. Adopting Online is available at local bookstores and online at the book site, AdoptingOnline.com. And if you mention Let's Talk Adoption, uh, when you call in and order it, you'll receive $10 off and a free CD, The Eight Steps to a Successful Adoption with Your Purchase. You can call 1-877-432-6785. That's 1-877-432-6785. Or email us at info at letstalkadoption.com. We'll send you over a coupon for that, too. Our guest today is Kathleen Calcutt, and before the break, we were sharing and talking about some important uh, information about the legal aspects of adoption and uh, more details of, you know, questions that uh, you have sent in to the show, um, questions that we often see over and over again. Kathleen, what happens if a birth mom, you're matched with a birth mom, and then she changes her mind? I mean, that's always a frightening thing, and I've had it happen in my own adoption. What do you suggest, and, and what, what happens at that point? Well, that is every adoptive parent's worst nightmare. Um, once a birth mom signs her consent, depending on the state that she is in, if she has a period in which she is allowed to change her mind, then the baby would have to be returned. Mm-hmm. And she's allowed to make that decision. She doesn't have to prove anything. She doesn't have to prove fraud or duress. She just can change her mind. And that's why counseling is so important and to really have that relationship going to make sure that you're a good match and this is a good choice for her because adoption is not always a a good choice for some women right absolutely that's why i my number one thing that i look for in another agency is good counselors Mm -hmm. and And especially people who will work with the birth mom through this first 30 days where she's grieving and and has so many hormonal Mm -hmm. um emotions i think that's a question that people need to ask too when they're interviewing uh adoption professionals what is your follow-up like Right. And how many birth moms do you work with? And, and we have uh, quite a bit of and questions right. like that. I know that I address those in my book. And, and they come in with a lot of the organizations that, um, as with Lifetime, they have um, a pamphlet. You know, it gives you all the questions you should be asking, um, questions to ask birth moms, and, mm-hmm. and, and birth moms' questions that they should ask adoptive parents, too. That's right. People ask all the time, should we, uh, you know, if we pay birth mom expenses, should we do this through the attorney? You know, I know states are all different. Some don't allow any birth mom expenses. How do you feel about that? In states where you do, um, where you are allowed to pay birth mom expenses, I believe that it should be done through the attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own practice, I ask my families and I ask my birth moms to please not discuss birth mom expenses among yes, themselves. I like right. that to be handled through the attorney mm-hmm. because birth mom expenses in the states that allow them can only be paid in certain very specific categories. And that, and you're going to have to go before the judge and explain why these are paid in some well, situations. Absolutely. You have to file an affidavit which um, itemizes every penny that was spent in the adoption mm-hmm. to every person involved in the adoption. Mm-hmm. So you certainly don't want to get in trouble for, um, for mm-hmm. paying birth mother expenses that are not authorized under the law. Right. And I, that's why I really feel that people should not skimp in this area. And we go back to that first question on... You know, why should people try to do this on their own? And I think web presence is important, but I think you need to do it with a screening service uh, through a good adoption professional, someone that can, you know, screen the people coming through that say it and say they're a birth mom and maybe they're not. Um, and maybe they are, but really they really want a parent. And in the very end, you would have a lot of heartbreak if there wasn't screening yeah. done. There really are very few adoption attorneys mm-hmm. who, do, um, who specialize in, in infant adoptions. It's because 
it is such a difficult area of practice, mm-hmm. and there's so much liability. I do want to go back to um, your question where you asked when a birth mom can change your mind and what yes. happens, mm-hmm. because once that 30-day time period has expired, for instance, in California or in Florida, once she actually signs her consent, she can't go back and undo the adoption without going to the court and proving that she was defrauded, mm-hmm. that someone cheat her, or that someone forced her to sign it. Um, when you are choosing um, a facilitation center or an adoption agency, you want to make sure that you choose one that documents their birth mother contact. Boy, is that true? Absolutely, because you want if a birth mom does ever come back and says, "Oh no, I was forced, I was defrauded into doing this adoption," mm-hmm. you want to be able to have somebody who can um, come in and testify under oath mm-hmm. with their notes that these are all the contacts I had with the birth mom. She mm-hmm. contacted us. She filled out this questionnaire. She asked us about birth mom expenses. Every You have to constantly be mm-hmm. documenting a case for the worst-case scenario. And, you know, this is very true, and it's not unusual, you know, for I know with uh, in the center, the adoption center with Lifetime, to have an inch or two-inch file of documentation for each adoption. Absolutely. And you can really track through it, and the phone calls are made, and the efforts, and, and forms are filled out. And I'm really leery if there is an adoption professional that only has you know one or two pieces of paper because this is a huge uh, life-changing event, um, and you need to really be sure that we're taking care of everything. So I think that's really important that people ask about that. And so many times when we're getting going in adoption, we just forget about it. We go with on emotions too. Right. I know I have another question here. People ask all the time, can a birth father or birth mother's parents contest the adoption if they want the baby? No. Okay. No. And that's important. Right. The, um, the, the, the people who, who have to choose um, whether, or they're not, whether or not they're going to give up their child for adoption are the birth parents. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time you have a grandparent involved is if this is an older child and if the child has lived with the grandparents for six months or longer. And I believe that's in most states, but it is the the birth mother and the birth father. They're the ones that make the, the now, uh, decision. On the same line, though, if you have a birth mom who is no longer living with her husband and she is not divorced, mm-hmm. well, the husband, even though he's not the father of this child, is still considered the legal father, and and he, you will have to get his consent. Right. Well, there are so many questions in here, too. I'm going to go ahead and pass a couple more here. We could actually do another whole show with you, Catherine. Um, you know, people ask all the time if they um, if they are going through an adoption with a newborn, is the legal process different for an older child um, than a newborn adoption? The forms are slightly different, but as long as it's not a relative adoption, then it is um, basically the same legal process. The birth parents sign their consents. They sign the American Indian Affidavit. They sign um, the disclosure statement, the counseling summaries. They still sign, at least under Florida law, they still sign pretty much all the paperwork that you would sign for an infant adoption. Right. That's important. Let's give your website out because if people would like to contact Kathleen Calcutt, um, what is your website? It's American? American Kids, K-I-D-Z, all one word, Uh Adoption. Dot com. That's right. And if you missed that at all, it's American Kids, K-I-D-Z, adoption.com, or you can email us at info at Let's Talk Adoption. Kathleen, thank you so much for being on the show today. I think that your legal expertise has been wonderful, and it really has helped. I know a lot of people that I know, and I really appreciate the time. I know you're very busy and lots of adoptions with your 4 a.m. adoption going on this morning. <laughs> so thank you so much, and I hope to have you back on the show. Thank you very much, Marty. Have thank, a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Wonderful. 
Well, I want to thank you again for being with us today. And uh, next week, we'll have another great lineup, too. And if you have questions, please send them over to me at info at letstalkadoption.com. We'd love to hear from you and answer those questions on the air. Until next time, this is Marty Caldwell with Let's Talk Adoption. Have a wonderful week, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. For more adoption information, visit LifetimeAdoption.com or call 1-800-923-6784. That's 1-800-9-ADOPT-4. And tune in again next week at the same time for Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell.